Stand with me, if you would, please, and grab your Bible. Turn to Genesis, not very far in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 32. We'll be reading uh, verses 22 through 32. Once again, Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32, as Pastor Bruce continues in his series. God's got questions, and this week we look at the question, what is your name? And we can find our text in Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. And he arose that night and took his two wives his two female servants and his eleven sons, and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them, set them over the brook, and he, and he sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle at shank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shank. Dear Father, we come to you this morning and thank you for your word. We thank you that that you know us and that you love us and help us to have open hearts and minds to what you would have us to learn this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. And happy Mom's Day to all you moms out there. Glad you're here. As we look at God's question, and as we continue in this series, we're going to focus on the question that we read here in the account of Jacob's life, Genesis 32, the question God asked Jacob, what is your name? Names are rather important. Think about it for a moment. We come into this world without a name. It is usually the first gift we receive from our parents. And more often than not, names are chosen with great care, and we have our names until the day we die. So your name is extremely important. In fact, in many ways, your name is your life. It's how you identify yourself to other people, and it's how other people identify you. But in the culture of biblical times, names carried a a, a much greater importance Names were not just ways in which people were called, which is kind of the general purpose in which they serve today. Names were given to describe the the essence of a person's character. And they also symbolized the, the hopes and the expectations and dreams that the parents had for their children when they gave them their name. So in other words, in those ancient days, in biblical times, your name described who you were at the moment, but also who you were going to become, or at least what your parents hoped you would become. Now, keep these thoughts in mind about the importance of names as we explore God's question this morning. This question comes from a, I think you would have to agree with me, a rather bizarre episode in the life of the Old Testament character by the name Jacob. In Genesis 32, Jacob finds himself left alone at 
the river Jabbok, where we are told he actually wrestled with God throughout the night. Now, that's bizarre, is it not? That's rather weird. How many have wrestled with God? Well, not directly, but in a symbolic way, we're going to find out we all wrestle with God. That is, when God asked him, what is your name? And when Jacob answered this question, he experienced God's blessing that he so longed for. But as we'll see, this blessing in Jacob's life did not come until Jacob was first broken by God in his wrestling match with him. So while Genesis 32, we can look at this chapter in one way, it's really the turning point in Jacob's life. But in another way, Genesis 32 was also a summary of Jacob's life, which brings us kind of to a a truth that I want us to see from the very outset here. Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen about Jacob's life. It's a picture of God's relentless grace to break us in order to bless us. When you study the life of Jacob, and in particular here, Genesis 32, what you see is the grace of God in relentless pursuit of this man. And the whole purpose of it was to break him in order to bless him, and God wants to do the same with us. The reason this truth is so important, I believe, is because if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit there's a little bit of Jacob in all of us here today. And there's a whole lot of Jacob in some of us here. But the good news is, God's grace is relentless in pursuing us. Aren't you thankful for that? Why? Because God is in the business of radically changing people's lives for His glory. God loves, and I I love this actually, I love this fact about our God, that He loves to take people who who are messed up in their sin, if you will, and in their selfishness, and give them a new identity, to give them a new life through their faith in Jesus Christ. This is what we call the transforming power of the gospel. The gospel is is more than just the promise of eternal life. And while we're thankful that when we receive Christ, when we know Him, we have the hope that we will spend eternity with God in His heaven forever and ever. That's a glorious promise. That's a glorious truth. But the gospel is so much more than that. The gospel is also the power of a changed life here on this earth. But this blessing of a changed life is preceded, as we're going to see, by brokenness, which is why so many of us run from it. We don't want to experience the brokenness. And that's why I say there's a little bit of Jacob in all of us, and there's a whole lot of Jacob in some of us. We all can identify with this guy named Jacob. But I hope we can all identify with the relentless grace of God as he pursues us to bless us. But in order to be blessed, we have to be broken. And there's basically four phases God uses to bless us or to break us to bless us. Let's look at these this morning here. Four phases. The first phase is normally a crisis. A crisis. This is where we struggle with God for control. A crisis is when we struggle with God 
for control because basically we want to be in control of our lives instead of God. And this is exactly the crisis Jacob was facing in his whole life. In fact, Jacob had been struggling with God his whole life from the moment he was born. Why? Because he wanted to be in control of his life, his circumstances, and the people around him. You could say Jacob's whole life was one of strife. If you notice on the screen, Jacob's life is strife. His struggle commenced in labor, and it continued throughout his life. Jacob thought his crisis was summarized in one word, Esau. After all, for 20 years, Jacob has lived with the memory of how he cheated his brother. You ever cheat your brother, sibling, sister, whatever the case may be? For 20 years, Jacob has been living with this memory of how he cheated his brother, not once, but twice, when he swindled Esau out of his birthright and then stole his inheritance. And so Jacob, let me tell you, he's just a little bit nervous now about meeting his brother for the first time in 20 years, and for good reason. Several days earlier, Jacob had sent messengers to meet Esau with a message of peace. But when the messengers returned and told Jacob that Esau was coming with 400 men, we're told in verse 6 of Genesis 32 that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed over this. He's a scared man. He is scared to death all alone by the river Jabbok. He's been running from his problems all his life, and now... The unfinished business of his past is about to catch up to him. Now, I think most of us here, we understand and we know all about unfinished business. It could be a broken relationship in the past. It could be a broken promise of the past. It could be a hateful word or a hurtful deed in the past. Whatever it is, mark it down, sooner or later, you've got to go back and face the unfinished business In the past, you've got to go back and face your past. You've got to go back and face the people you hurt and come clean about your mistakes. And Jacob is learning this truth the hard way. And so as the memories of the past condemn him and his fears of tomorrow are overwhelming him, what God is doing is preparing him for an encounter that will change his life forever. Notice what it says in verse 24 of Genesis chapter 32. Look at it with me. It says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, the first question that most people ask at this point, it's the first question I ask, maybe it's yours, is, well, who did Jacob wrestle with? And the answer, the short answer, is God. In fact, if you go to the Minor Prophet book, Hosea, chapter 12, verse 3, it tells us before Jacob was born, he struggled with his brother. And when he became a man, he even fought with God. And the second question most people ask is, well, how do you struggle with your brother before you're even born? How's that possible? Well, Jacob, you have to understand, was the twin brother of Esau. And so they were kind of duking it out in their mother's womb. In fact, when Jacob's older brother Esau was first born, the Bible says that Jacob was actually holding on to Esau's ankle as he came out of the womb. You say, well, why is this such a big deal? Because it's symbolic of Jacob's whole life up to this point. 
All his life, he's been in a struggle with his brother. But Jacob's about to find out that his biggest struggle is with God. As Martin Lloyd-Jones put it, who was a uh, famous pastor in England, he puts it like this, Jacob thinks the main problem is how can I be reconciled to Esau? But the main problem is really how can I be reconciled to God? Remember, the root of most of our problems is our struggle with God. We want to be in control of our lives, not Him. So God brings our problems to a boiling point in a crisis. Are you familiar with that? And that's when God initiates, quote, a wrestling match with us in order to show us our real problem. But here's the good news. God loves you just the way you are. Aren't you thankful for that? But God also loves you far too much to let you stay that way. So God uses a crisis in your life to kind of get your attention. Why? Because we don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. Which brings us to the second phase God uses to break us in order to bless us. And that second phase is a confrontation where we are broken by God in His grace. Have you ever found yourself in a no-win situation in life? Yeah, most of us have. Well, that's what it's like when you're in a wrestling match with God Almighty. Now, what happens next is, one, as I said, one of the most bizarre scenes in all the Bible. Jacob is standing alone in the night when a, quote, man, and you'll notice in the verse in your Bible, that man is capitalized, comes to wrestle him. Now, Jacob... When this wrestling match begins, he has no idea that he's in the grip of God's relentless grace. But something during the night, sometime during the night, it begins to dawn on him, you know what, this is no man that he's wrestling with. This is God himself. So Jacob, we could say, is in the fight of his life at this moment. And what a fight it is, as verse 24 says, a man wrestled with him until when? The breaking of day. Now, I've never wrestled much, never been much of a wrestler. I've never wrestled in junior high, never wrestled on a high school team. But I'm told a typical wrestling match in high school might last anywhere from 6 to 11 minutes, and that's if it goes into overtime. You certainly don't wrestle all night. Why? Because it's too exhausting. But that's how long we are told this wrestling match lasted. Now, here's a question to throw out to you. Who do you think won this wrestling match? After all, it says, look at it with me in verse 25. Now when he, that is speaking about God, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, Jacob. Now at first glance at that phrase, it seems like, man, this, this is... Looks like a draw. In fact, it may even appear that Jacob is winning here. But then look again at verse 25. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, notice what God does. He touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. This is amazing to me. All it took was a touch. The touch of God. And Jacob was immobilized. So this was no 
ordinary wrestling match. This is not two brothers duking it out and wrestling on the living room floor or in the backyard. In a wrestling match, you always wrestle with someone in your own weight class. Why is that? Because if you wrestle someone who is 15 pounds heavier than you are, you don't stand a chance. And Jacob was wrestling with an all-powerful God here. And the only reason he wasn't crushed was because of God's grace in his life. So how did Jacob prevail? Well, there's two ways Jacob prevailed in this wrestling match. One, because of God's grace, as we just mentioned. But also, Jacob prevailed in weakness. And don't miss that truth, because that's the most important one here for our application. This is the moment in which Jacob's life turns. All of his life, Jacob had been fighting and struggling. It was a life of strife. He's been self-sufficient. This man has been proud. And he is self-reliant. He's been the one struggling for control all of his life, doing everything that he could to get the blessing that he longed for, either by fair means or by foul means. He did whatever it took. And all night he did the same thing. He wrestled with God and he tried to get this blessing from God in his own strength. But now God had crippled him. He had crippled Jacob's self-sufficiency, basically. And for the first time in his life, all Jacob could do was hold on to God in his brokenness, clinging to the one who touched him. Whoa, blow me away. So what should we take away from this? I mean, that's nice for Jacob, but what in the world does that mean for me? What application does that have for me today? Well, notice this in your, on the screen coming up on your notes. Here's what we should take away from God's crippling grace in Jacob's life. It's this truth right here. God must on occasion cripple us of our self-dependence so he can bless us. And when he does, folks, listen to me, our only hope is to cling to God in brokenness. What's the objective in wrestling? How many have wrestled before on a team? Some of, yeah, all right. How many have just wrestled with your brother in the backyard? All right, how many have wrestled with your sister? That's a bad question. All right, y'all, most of us understand wrestling. How, how many have seen wrestling? I'm talking real wrestling, not WWE wrestling. Listen, the objective in wrestling is to pin the guy to the mat. It's to knock him down, it's to lay him flat, and it's to get control over him until he cries, Uncle, you win. Or until they, you know, slap that mat. Remember the turning point in this wrestling match came when God touched Jacob on his hip. And suddenly he was weakened and he was immobilized. And that's when Jacob, get this, he stopped wrestling with God and he started clinging to God. And folks, listen to me. There's a big difference between wrestling with God and clinging to God. To wrestle is to fight for control, is to fight for dominance over your opponent. But to cling is to hold on in brokenness and in desperation, is to cry out to God, Uncle, you win, I give. And in a sense, that's what Jacob is doing when he cries out to God in his brokenness, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
As A.W. Tozer once wrote, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. So let me ask you, are you in a wrestling match with God at this point in your life? If you are, can I encourage you to stop wrestling and start clinging? Welcome God's crippling grace in your life because it means God wants to break you in order to bless you. And the sooner that you give up control of your life over to God, the sooner you can start clinging to God in brokenness and be blessed by God. But there's still one more phase God uses before we are blessed by Him, and that is a confession, number three. In this phase, this is where we admit to God We are the problem. This is where we stop blaming our past. We stop blaming people. And instead, we admit to God and to ourselves, I am the problem here. The fact is, until we admit this truth, there is no major change in our lives and there is no blessing by God in our lives. This is the the breakthrough phase, if you will. This is when we get honest with ourselves. We get honest with God. We get honest with those around us. And we admit what everybody else, and especially God, already knows about us. That we are the problem to our problems. This is the breakthrough that Jacob experienced in this wrestling match with God. And it comes, this is amazing, it comes when God asks him a simple yet powerful question. What is your name? Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen, God's question. What is your name? And he said, what did he say? Jacob. Now, why in the world would God ask Jacob his name? I mean, didn't God already know who Jacob was? You would think God knows who he's wrestling with, right? Well, of course God knew who he was wrestling with. The question is, did Jacob know who he really was? That's the purpose of the question. The name Jacob here means cheater. It means deceiver, manipulator, usurper. And oh, how Jacob lived up to his name. Even in his mother's womb, he lived up to this name. Let me tell you, Jacob ripped off everybody he came into contact with. He lied to his dad, who was going blind. He cheated his brother out of his rightful inheritance. He used his father-in-law. He used his wife and later his other wives. Jacob was the kind of person that could enter a revolving door behind you and still come out ahead of you. Jacob was always deceiving people and manipulating the circumstances to make things look better than they actually were in order to benefit himself. And so when God asks, what is your name? What God is really asking here is, Jacob, are you ready to admit who you really are? Are you ready to confess the deep truth about yourself? God wanted to know if Jacob was ready to, to, quote, own up to who he really was once and for all in his life. And so when Jacob answers to God, 
my name is Jacob. Let me tell you, it was, it was monumental in his life. This was the breakthrough for life change and God's blessing in Jacob's life. Now let me just clarify then, in your notes coming up on the screen, the significance of Jacob's confession for us. Because here's what Jacob's doing when he confesses, I'm Jacob. He acknowledged who he was and what he had become. In essence, he was honest with himself and with God for the first time in his life. Ravi Zacharias, I'm sure many of you have heard of him. He's a speaker and author, he's written several books. He explains the significance of Jacob's confession this way in a book he wrote, Can Man Live Without God? Listen to what he says, and I'm quoting his words. He says, think of all that God could have said by way of reprimand. Instead, he merely asks for Jacob's name. God's purpose in raising this question contains a lesson for all of us, too. Too profound to ignore. In asking for the blessing from God, Jacob was compelled by God's question to relive the last time he was asked for a blessing, the one he had stolen from his brother. The last time Jacob was asked for his name, the question had come from his earthly father. Jacob had lied on that occasion and said, I am Esau, and stole the blessing. Now he found himself, after many wasted years of running through life, looking over his shoulder before an all-knowing, all-seeing Heavenly Father, once more seeking a blessing. Jacob fully understood the reason and the indictment behind God's question, and he answered, my name is Jacob. You have spoken the truth, God said, and you know very well what your name signifies. You have been a dishonest man, deceiving everyone everywhere you went. But now that you acknowledge the real you, I can change you, and I will make you a great nation out of you. Whoa. Powerful. You know, when I think about God's question here, what is your name? Every time I read this story in Genesis 32 and I come across this question, I can't help but wonder, what would my name be if I was named after my greatest character flaw? Hi, my name is Greedy. What would your name be? Would it be bitter? Would it be angry? Uncontrollable temper? Jealousy? Hi, my name is Lustful. Oh, I'm Fearful. Or my name is Gossip. What about you? What would your name be if you were named after your biggest character flaw? Folks, whether we realize it or not, we are known by it. Whether people actually call us greedy, bitter, and use those names, that's what we are known by. To others, but most of all, it's what we're known to God. God knows who we are. 
Here's the point. We will never experience life change until we honestly admit we are the problem to ourselves and then to God. And one of the most humbling things to do is admit that. It's to say, this is who I am. I am a blank, and you fill in the blank. I'm a worrier. I'm a person who runs from conflict. I'm a fraud. I'm a manipulator. Whatever the case may be. But if we want to really experience life change, listen to me, folks. We must stop making excuses. We must stop justifying. We must stop blaming other people for our problems and who we are. We must come clean about what God and everybody else already sees in us. But we are so afraid to admit to ourselves And this is by far the most difficult part of life change in receiving God's blessing. But it's also the breakthrough phase in our lives. Now we come to the good part, the fourth phase, where God changes us and blesses us. Number four, it's a change. This is where we're blessed by God with a new identity. This new identity tells us, get this, this is important here. That no matter who we are or what we've done in the past, God has a new future for us. Woohoo! Right? What this means is we're not defined forever by our past sins and our past failures. Look at God's gracious response to Jacob's confession in the rest of the verses here, 28 through 30. And he said, this is God speaking to him now. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, what is it that you ask about my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Now let me just draw out two observations here about God's transforming grace in Jacob's life. Because here's what's so cool about this. Yes, there's God's crippling grace. But folks, understand, we experience God's crippling grace for the purpose of experiencing His transforming grace. In other words, God wants to break us in order to bless us. And so this is the good part. If we're willing to go through the crippling grace, if we're willing to go through the brokenness, that process, notice it here. First of all, God gives Jacob a spiritual blessing by changing his name from Jacob to Israel. Do you see what God is doing here? God is giving Jacob a brand new identity by giving him a brand new name. God is basically saying, your name is Jacob, which we all know means deceiver, cheater, manipulator. That's the old you. But we're not going to call you that anymore. We're going to change your name to Israel. The name Israel, it's a rather peculiar name. It's somewhat hard to define. Most scholars believe it means something like this. God's fighter or God who prevails with men. Some even suggest it may mean prince with God. No matter what it means, it captures all those ideas. And so... This is amazing, to be honest with you. Just think about this with me for a moment. Jacob is no longer going to be known as deceiver and cheater and manipulator in his character or reputation. Why? Because God has changed him. And Jacob's now going to be known as 
Israel or God's fighter or the, God is the one who prevailed in his life. In fact, this is so life-changing, get this, that a whole nation is named after this very dude. Remember what God's children are called in the Old Testament? The children of Israel. Not the children of Abraham. Not the children of Isaac. But the children of this same guy. That's what they're known for. The nation of Israelites. God says to Jacob, I know you've blown it. And I know you're conniving. But I see in you a fighter. Someone who will persevere and prevail to the end. So from now on, you're going to be known as God's fighter. Israel. And maybe you're here and you're wondering, whoa, man, can God really do that for me? Listen, you bet God can. Listen, God wants to change your life. God wants to bless you. God knows who you are. But God also knows who you can become if you're willing to first own up to who you are today. When we admit our need and we give our lives over to God, God will give us a new identity and begin to transform our character into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. The second observation about God's transforming grace in Jacob's life is this. God gives Jacob then a physical reminder of his experience by causing him to walk with a limp. We're told in verse 31, that when Jacob left in the morning, he limped on his hip. Remember what God did to Jacob in the wrestling match? God dislocated his hip. He just touched the socket of his hip, and he left him with a physical weakness. And so for the rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp. He would never walk the same again as a reminder of what took place that night beside the river of Jabbok. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Why would God do that? What's the significance of Jacob's limp? Well, there's two, two things here. They're not in your notes. If you want to jot it down, it's fine. First of all, it stopped his lifelong pattern of running from his problems. You see, one of Jacob's greatest weaknesses was that he was constantly, maybe you can identify this, creating problems and then running from them. Jacob was always trying to escape the problems he created instead of dealing with them. And let me tell you, he was an escape artist. He was the original Houdini. And so God said, oh, I can stop that. In fact, I can stop that rather quickly. I'll just give you a limp, and you will never run again. Listen, folks, it's never God's will for us to run from a problem. Besides, if you run from it, it will just come up again. Learn from Jacob here. Why? Because God is more interested in changing your character than making your life comfortable. And then the second reason, significance of the limp, it was a daily reminder to Jacob that he must depend on God. The Bible says in verse 32 that God touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Now what's interesting about this muscle that shrank is that it was Jacob's thigh muscle. And for those of you that know anything about the anatomy of the body, the thigh muscle is the largest and strongest muscle in the body. 
in essence, God touched Jacob at his greatest point of strength and created a weakness out of it. Which meant from that point on, Jacob was going to have to stand in God's power and not his own. So in a roundabout way, even that was a blessing. Amazing. I love this story. Jacob leaves that morning after wrestling with God, get this, both stronger and weaker. Stronger in that Jacob's not the same person anymore. Let me tell you, he's a new dude. He's radically changed from the inside out, but he's also weaker because now he's going to have to depend on God for the rest of his life. And the same is true for us. Listen, we all start out as a Jacob in life. Every one of us here. We have a lot of character flaws that we're born with, that we develop over time in our sinfulness and selfishness, and those flaws need changing. But the good news is we don't have to stay the same. God can give us a new identity. We can become, what the Apostle Paul says, a new creation in Christ. And that's why I love what he says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. You know what that means? The old you has passed away. Your old identities passed away. Not at one moment necessarily, but over a process of time. God will change you. Behold, all things have become new. So how blessed we are when we yield our lives to God's relentless grace. But let's be honest. If you're like me, and I'm like you, so many of us, we are like Jacob here. We struggle with God for control. And so what do we do? We live our own lives, and we make our own plans, and we do our own thing. And at the end of the day, we realize, you know what? I'm not really getting ahead in life. I'm not truly succeeding. And that's when we find ourselves in a wrestling match with God. Where He lays His hands on us and He breaks us to bless us. And all of a sudden, we have this appalling sense within us for the first time of our own weakness and our need for God. Listen, perhaps you're here this morning and God may be wrestling with you this very day. And he's asking you the same question he asked Jacob. What is your name? What is your name? God's question here invites us to face up to who we are. This is seldom easy, and it takes radical self-honesty. But folks, let me tell you, it is the breakthrough to life change and God's blessing. Will you answer God's question? Yes, it's personal. It's a pointed question. But folks, remember, it's also a question of God's relentless grace in your lives. And when we respond to God's grace, we can answer the question that He asks us. What is your name? We can cry out, I am redeemed by the grace of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. No longer do I have to be known as greedy, bitter, 
uncontrollable anger, lustful, whatever the case may be. My name is redeemed. I am redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross. He died for my sins so that all things could be passed away and all things could become new in my life. I want to close with a video that kind of pictures the reality of this. What is your name? That through Christ, it can be I'm redeemed. That is so cool. 
That can be you. That's the power of God's relentless grace in our lives when we yield to it. And we run to the cross and we run to Jesus. And we cry out in our brokenness, I need you. I don't want to be the old me. I want to be who you want me to be. I want to be redeemed. Listen, that can be you this morning. With your heads bowed. And as we prepare for our response time, praise team's going to come and sing. And as they do, let me encourage you to answer this question. This question by God. He asked this question to you in his love and in his grace because he wants to break you to bless you. He wants you to be able to cry out, I'm redeemed. I'm not the person I used to be. But that only comes through a brokenness in the realization that you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. Are you ready to make that decision? Are you ready to come to him and admit your need for him? Right where you're at, you can do that. In a simple prayer, in your own words, you express it to him as the praise team sings.